0: Thank you for listening to our IIF podcast, All About the Green. I'm delighted to be here today to talk about ESG Disclosure with Janine Gilliatt who is CEO of the SASB Foundation. Janine joined SASB in 2016 after a very distinguished career at Barclays Global Investors, at CalPERS, and Bank America. So she brings a wealth of interesting perspective to our discussion today. Thanks for being here, Janine. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sonia. It's great to be here.
0: You know, we should really start with some basics because this is a difficult and confusing subject, this whole area of ESG disclosure, and companies all over the world, across all sectors being urged to do a better job of reporting on risks and opportunities about environmental, social, and governance factors, or ESG. That's a pretty big range, you know, carbon emissions, labor standards, gender diversity, Who's in charge of accounting standards and do different jurisdictions like the EU and U.S. see this differently? Yes.
1: yes. Yeah, so I would say around the world, there are two primary standard setters for what we would call broadly ESG or sustainability disclosure. Those two standard setters are SASB and GRI. And very importantly here is, is talking a little bit about what distinguishes a standard setter. Typically, standards are things that have disclosure topics, they have specific metrics or indicators, and they're established using some sort of due process, typically public consultation and a transparent decision-making process. And then there's an ongoing process to evolve those standards over time. So we very often use the analogy to financial accounting standards where the FASB and the IASB are the two globally recognized bodies that set standards for the U.S. and internationally. So that's what a standard is. And both SASB and GRI very much have that kind of standard setting process. The difference between SASB and GRI is really one of scope and definition of materiality. SASB identifies the sustainability topics that are most likely to impact financial performance of companies. GRI identifies the topics where a company's actions are most likely to impact external stakeholders. So the SASB and GRI disclosures are very much complementary. They serve different purposes targeted at different audiences. That's really interesting.
0: So many acronyms, you know, SASB and GRI. And we should really sort of bring one more into the mix, which is the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. And they've put together a set of recommendations that everyone is is trying to follow. So how do SASB and TCFD work together? Are they
1: competitive or complementary? How does it work? So TCFD has done a fantastic job at bringing global attention to the issue of climate risk disclosure. What's important to know is that the SASB standards and the TCFD framework are complementary. So TCFD talks broadly about asking companies to disclose their strategy, their governance, their risk management, and then metrics and targets related to climate risk management. But TCFD does not prescribe specific metrics. What the SASB standards provide are industry-specific topics and metrics around climate risk that can be used in a TCFD disclosure. So the way to think about it is that the SASB standards are an implementation tool for the TCFD recommendations. Now well, that makes
0: sense. And, you know, how's that all working out for them? Are these ad- recommendations being adopted quickly? Is everybody jumping on board?
1: Well, I think there's, there's enormous interest and there's no question there are a lot of companies and investors globally committed to disclose in accordance with the TCFD recommendations. I think that's fantastic. I would say there's probably more progress around some of the disclosures around strategy governance, um, risk management, than there are now around metrics and targets. But I think it's an evolution. I mean, what we always say to companies is get on a path. You have to start somewhere and don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think starting with a strategy and a governance disclosure, moving on to a risk management disclosure, and then building out disclosures of targets and metrics over time, using the SASB standards as a guide, I think that's a perfectly acceptable way for companies to start approaching this. But, you know, I I think when we
0: speak with our members about this topic, many would say that we don't really have the right building
1: blocks or tools to do this type of disclosure. What are some of the challenges? So I think, I think in this space, a couple of different things get confused, especially for financial institutions. Financial institutions have to do TCFD disclosures in their own right as companies and as issuers. So how does climate risk impact that institution? But the challenge for financial institutions is that in order to do that, they need information from the underlying companies that they're either financing or investing in or underwriting securities for. So it's important to remember there are two slightly different concepts here. There is the disclosure of financial institutions themselves, and then there are the disclosures financial institutions need from companies they finance. Those two things get conflated. And so I think for financial institutions, the most pressing issue, I think, right now is how to get consistent, comparable, and reliable information from the companies they finance, whether they're financing it with equity, debt, or even whether they're underwriting securities.
0: And that information is often referred to as data, right? So when people talk about ESG data, where do I get ESG data? That's, That's what they're referring to.
1: Often, often. And so you'll consistently hear ESG data is an issue. It's not comparable. Difficult for us to get it across, particularly a broad universe, because many global financial institutions need data across an entire universe of securities, including in emerging markets and developed markets. So how to get that comprehensive, consistent, reliable data is crucial. And we really believe standards are the way you do that ultimately what the world needs are disclosure standards. Companies can follow those disclosure standards, and that's the path to consistent, comparable, reliable data to use in both lending and investing decisions.
0: So we talk about consistency, comparability, reliability. I want to introduce one more concept here, which is materiality. Right, so SASB says your mission is to help businesses around the world identify, manage, and report on financially material sustainability topics. But what does that mean? How do you determine materiality?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So we think of financial materiality uh, in the same way that many financial analysts would think about it or credit analysts, which is what are issues that are reasonably likely to impact financial condition or operating performance of a company? And in making that determination, our process requires two things. We have to see evidence of financial impact. That an issue has financial impact and evidence of investor interest in that issue. So, you know, a really good example of this is something like water usage in the non-alcoholic beverage industry. Clearly, the availability and the cost of water is an issue that can have a financial impact in that industry. Climate-specific issue in the insurance industry would be the exposure of the insured property portfolio to sea level rise. That's clearly an issue that has financial implications. So the way our process works is we look for evidence of financial impact. That can be actual events. It can be research. It can be sell-side research, buy-side research, academic research. And then we also look at what companies currently disclose and particularly what they disclose as risks or risk factors to their businesses because often that provides some insight into what companies think are important. So what we do is, is we look at all that research, we come up with a hypothesis about what issues might be financially material, and then we go through an extensive process of consultation with companies and investors and other interesting parties, and through that public consultation process, we reach a final decision. So your guidance can help
0: firms and investors determine which of these factors are material for them.
1: Correct. And, and we're very clear that we believe it's guidance. So we issue standards by industry. We have 77 industry specific standards, uh, automobile industry, commercial banking industry, uh, agricultural industry. Just give you a few examples. And we then, identify the topics we think are most likely to be material in those industries. But it is really important to know that the final decision is the companies. Each company's business model can be somewhat unique. And we do see companies that may use topics from multiple SASB industry standards when they prepare their final disclosures. And it's fair to
0: say that not everywhere is the focus on materiality as pronounced as it is within the SASB framework right other frameworks might see materiality as, as not as important
1: well i'd say i'd say that it's considered important across multiple frameworks it's that the word materiality may be used slightly differently so the best example of this is the european union which has non-financial reporting uh guidance called the Non-Financial Reporting Directive. And in that, they lay out a concept of dual materiality. So they talk about one aspect of materiality being financial materiality. That's how do ESG issues impact a company's financial performance. That is primarily of interest to investors. And then the other concept of materiality they will call um, environmental and social materiality. Some people call that stakeholder materiality. Some people will call it societal impact. And that idea is how does the company's actions impact the external world? And that is that information is of interest to multiple stakeholders. So all of those concepts are, of materiality are important. And most large global companies report both, but just different users have different levels of interest in that information.
0: And that's the European Union perspective. And in the U.S., would you see that same focus on dual materiality or stakeholder?
1: I would say that the U.S. uh, tends to prioritize, and this is just culturally, and it's also a function of how fiduciary law works in the U.S. for both corporate boards and large pension funds. The U.S. tends to prioritize the financial materiality concept, but most large U.S.-based multinationals who operate in multiple jurisdictions also uh, publish significant amounts of information through the stakeholder materiality lens also.
0: So let's turn to $64,000 question or maybe a 64,000 euro question, you know, depending on how you look at it. There is a lot of debate about whether ESG reporting should be voluntary or mandatory because it's currently voluntary. Many investors are concerned that the data that they receive via corporate disclosures isn't standardized or comparable across firms, and that makes it less kind of decision useful for them, to use a TCFD term. So some UK and European policymakers are suggesting that climate and other non-financial disclosures could become mandatory in the near future. So how do you see this, this landscape evolving?
1: I think it's going to evolve differently around the world. So if you think about what can drive ESG disclosure, we think of three levers. We call them levers. One is mark investor demand, essentially market forces. One is companies believing that it's important to them from a business perspective to disclose this information. And then the third would be regulation. So those are the three ways that ESG disclosure can be driven around the world. And I think different levers will be more effective in different markets. So in the U.S. market, the market forces lever is likely to be more effective. In the European market, the regulatory lever is likely to be more effective. So I think we just have to acknowledge that different levers will move at different paces around the world. I think what's very interesting right now is I think collectively all three of those levers <laughs> are moving, that we've got a situation where we now have the world's largest investors, the world's largest companies, and regulators in one of the world's largest markets, the EU, all collectively saying we need better ESG disclosure. That's interesting.
0: So you could you could perceive of a world where even without regulation or a top-down policy push, you could get good, effective, comparable disclosure on a voluntary basis
1: using a strong framework. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I, it could be slower than regulation, but I think it's absolutely possible. And what we always come back to is saying that at the end of the day, regardless of whether the information is driven through market forces or regulation, what's really important is that it be reliable. And the way you get to reliability is that this information be prepared with strong systems of internal control and strong board governance and oversight. And and ideally, with the same kind of systems of internal control and board governance and oversight, That financial information has because particularly the financially material information that will be used in investor decision making, uh, we think should be of the same reliability as financial information. So
0: I want to turn now to, you know, we've been talking about climate reporting and that that's really very much in focus uh, with the climate agenda. But there's also a push for better disclosure of other non-financial risks like biodiversity, human capital, or even infectious disease outbreaks uh, like the current coronavirus. How material are these kinds of risks, do you think? And how soon can companies get up to speed on reporting on those as well?
1: those risks are absolutely material and you know one thing that attracted me to SASB coming from my background in asset management is an investor needs to evaluate the full range of risks facing a business it can't focus on a single risk climate or a single risk human capital and the SASB standards are broad and cover what we call five sustainability dimensions, including the environment, human capital, social capital, which is where a lot of license-to-operate type issues live, and even issues like business model and innovation or leadership and governance. So the SASB standards cover, let's call it sustainability or ESG fairly broadly. And it's important that Investors, when they're trying to evaluate a company, need to be able to trade off those risks. And you'll often have situations where there may be companies that are really great performers, say from a climate perspective, uh, but who have weak labor relations or weak human capital management practices, and investors need to know that when they make final decisions. So I think it's essential that standards cover sustainability broadly.
0: But would it be right to say that the availability of data and tools for disclosing and reporting those types of risks are even less developed than, than the ones on the climate front, or is that too pessimistic?
1: I don't think that's too pessimistic. I I would frame it in degrees of maturity is the way to think about this. So I think generally the environmental metrics are more mature, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, on greenhouse gas emissions specifically, there's the greenhouse gas protocol. So there's an agreed global methodology for measurement. So that is incredibly helpful. The other thing about environmental metrics is that many of them They're so directly tied to P&L and particularly expenses that many companies have been managing them for years. So we see that, for instance, in the real estate industry where they report the SASB metrics relatively easily around things like energy usage or water usage or even waste because those are issues that those firms have managed for years and they have good data. I think where it gets harder is more emerging issues where there are less consensus about metrics, and this will happen in human capital. How do you measure employee engagement? So you'll often hear people say, there's no question employee engagement is a value driver, but how do you measure employee engagement and how do you measure it in some consistent way across companies? Data privacy is another good one. No question, data privacy is really important for financial institutions. What's a really good comparable metric for data privacy? So I think metrics are just in different stages of maturity. And it's important to acknowledge that when you talk about ESG disclosure.
0: Yeah, particularly as the regulatory framework for it evolves. Yes. Ginny, this has been so helpful. I mean, I've come away from it sort of quite encouraged, really, about the state of disclosure and and prospects for for future, despite the kind of challenges and, and confusion that is kind of part of the landscape at the moment. So thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening to All About the Green. Please subscribe to receive alerts about future episodes, and we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll tune in again. I'm Sonia Gibbs, and until next time, keep it green.